0: Well, good morning. I know you've already said that this morning, but uh, i got to say it again. Yesterday, I was at uh, Toronto Joffrey Alliance Church and I uh, was taking part in the Deeper Life Conference. Um, I'm one of the facilitators and, and prayer intercessors, and I'm the MC, I guess, for the weekend. And at one point, I got up, and uh, I think it was yesterday morning. When people were first arriving, and I said good morning, and there was a really quiet, like huh, kind of grumbling in the crowd, and I really I wanted to do what I do here some mornings, and so I told them what I do, and that if I don't get a really good response from you, I will make you say good morning again. I didn't make them do it; I was generous and gracious to them, but I'm I'm thankful that you guys have just responded. I don't even have to say it, and you guys are already like full of life and energy. So, uh, My name is Chris, and I do have the privilege of serving here as the pastor. And for those of you who are visiting or who are new here, welcome. We're glad that you have joined us. Uh, I think there was one announcement, Tim. Did you mention that there's a potluck after church? No. There's a potluck after church. Yeah, this is good. This is food. Most of us like food. Some of us love food, and so you were invited to stay after church, whether you brought food or not to come and just fellowship, and honestly, if there's not enough, we'll order pizza, okay? We'll make sure that there is food for everyone, because it's a great opportunity for us as a family just to gather together and fellowship and just spend some time. Maybe you need to get to know somebody that you haven't seen for a while, and uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to do that. Someone was asking me the other day how long I have been here, <laughs> and uh, it took a moment for me to think about that, and uh, the reality is, is that we have been now in Oshawa almost 18, 18 months, I believe, and uh, so we've been here just, just shy of that in terms of serving at the church, and uh, it's, it was crazy to think about that, and it took me a long time because in some ways it feels like it was just this summer that we showed up. And it's only been a few months that we've been serving here. And in other ways, it feels like some of you we have known forever. And I think that in a good way. But it has been such a huge blessing to be a part of this congregation and to walk with you guys over the last 18 months. And and as we were thinking about that, Amanda and I reflected on the fact that half of Ezra's life has been here. And it's a a time in his life where this is what he will remember. He won't remember Alberta, and he won't remember the the freezing cold that they had this last week. He will remember the wonderful things that are Oshawa and Ritson Road. This morning we're continuing in our series called Believe, and we're looking at uh, the different signs and miracles that Jesus performed as John records them in his Gospel. And John, you remember, he's recorded these signs, and he's taken careful attention to focus on seven particular signs and wonders that Jesus has performed. And as he's recorded them, he he, he believes, he believes, there we go, that these particular signs will help us to believe. That they are the ones that will lead us into a place where we will know Jesus for who he is as the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we will come to life in him. As we're walking through this series, my hope is that if you remember anything at all, you will remember this one piece. And I'm going to say it probably week after week. And so by the time we get to the seventh or eighth week of the series, you should know this word. And it's the word that John uses that has been translated as believe, and the Greek word that John uses is actually the word pistou. And it's, it, it, this is one of the beauties of language. And as I was, this is a side note. As I was sitting at Jaffrey on the weekend and we had our, our, our Cantonese and some Mandarin groups there, I am totally oblivious, oblivious to some of these languages. And they can be speaking and I have no clue what they mean. And as we were talking, it, sometimes it's really difficult to translate a word to give it the full meaning and the full context and the full depth. And so we've translated this word pastuo as believe, but really it carries with it this sense of going all in. It's a complete trust and a complete surrender. And so when John is talking about having a belief in Jesus, for us to come and to walk and to believe He's not saying, I just want you to have a cognitive head knowledge about who he is. I don't want you to just merely acknowledge that Jesus was good and that he existed, but rather, it needs to transform your life. So last week, if you were here, I demonstrated a trust fall, and so I'm going to need some more volunteers this morning. (laughs) Tim looked up with worried there for a second. I'm just kidding. No more volunteers I demonstrated a trust fall and so I brought a bunch of the guys up on the stage and we did a trust fall off the baptismal tank and I talked about my trust and my belief in their ability to catch me. I didn't doubt that they would catch me and that they would drop me on the floor, or that they wouldn't drop me on the floor. I knew that they would. I believed. And as I shared with you last week, all of that belief is meaningless unless I actually do something with it. I could talk all I want, get up on the stage and talk, yeah, I believe that these guys are going to catch me. And then if I get down off the stage without ever having fallen, my belief is of nothing. There is of no value to it. I have to put my belief into action. This past week, as I was preparing for my message, Tammy actually sent me a podcast podcast. And the podcast was in terms of it was talking about worship, and it was talking about the priests as they would prepare for temple worship and those who were gathering together as the worshipers. And what struck me as I was listening to this podcast is that for those who wanted to serve in the temple, those who wanted to serve as worshipers and priests, they were required to consecrate their lives to God, they were required to surrender their lives completely their entire lives were devoted to the worship of God and to following him and to performing rituals and service to God. And so it struck me as I was listening to that that this is not something that is new to the New Testament. This is something that throughout Scripture, God has been laying as a foundation for the ways that we are supposed to respond to him. We're supposed to respond in complete surrender and complete trust. We are supposed to go all in for him. Last week, we looked at the, the miracle that Jesus performed by turning water into wine at the wedding celebration that was in Cana. And this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, starting in verses 43, and we're going to be looking at the miracle where Jesus heals the official son. So I'll invite you to turn your, your Bibles, in your Bibles to John 4 starting in verse 43. And while you do that, I want to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you, and we are so grateful that we are able to come and, and to worship together. There is a freedom that we have to gather to declare our faith and, and, and to share our faith with others. And, Lord, there is a freedom to just to be here. And, Lord, we don't want to take that for granted, ever. This morning, Lord, I invite you to come and to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Would you come and would you illuminate the Scriptures to us? Teach us what it means to believe in your Son, Jesus. And Spirit, we invite you to help us to live lives that are transformed and surrendered so that we might bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. So, John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. It says after the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him, and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. As as I read this, it's quite an interesting account. Here is the second sign that Jesus has performed to declare that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And John opens his account by saying this. He says, after the two days he left for Galilee. John is referring to the past couple days where Jesus has just spent in, in Samaria. He has been there. He was speaking with the woman at the well. And he began to teach the people that were in the village where she was, in the town. Because they had heard what the woman had testified about who Jesus was, and they wanted him to come and teach them. You remember the story that the woman comes in the middle of the day. We have all sorts of theories as to why she comes to the well. Scripture never explicitly speaks to it other than to say that she has had multiple husbands. But she finds herself at the the well in the middle of the day to draw water, and there's Jesus. And she has an encounter with him. they, They dialogue, they talk. Jesus asks her to draw water for him. And he begins to tell her that he is the living water. After her encounter with Jesus, the woman rushes into the town. She goes and she tells everybody about what she has just experienced. The response of the woman, it reminds me a little bit about what we looked at last week and the response that Andrew had to his encounter with Jesus. You're going to begin to see a pattern that John kind of develops as well, and not just talking about Jesus as the Messiah, but our response to him. Last week we looked at when Andrew had had this encounter with Jesus after he had followed with him for even just a few hours and had been talking with him. He rushed out to tell Simon Peter, Come and meet this guy Jesus, he's the Messiah. And this is the same thing that happens with the woman at the well. She rushes into the town and says, I've had this conversation with this guy. He's told me everything. Could he be the Messiah? And John tells us that upon hearing the testimony of the woman, many of these Samaritans believed in Jesus. They hadn't even seen him yet, they hadn't even walked or talked with him, he hadn't taught them. But they believed in the testimony of this woman. And so then they wanted to come. They wanted to encounter Jesus for themselves. And so they come. And they convinced Jesus to stay with them for two days to teach them. John 4, verses 40, just a few verses before this says, Then the Samaritans came to to him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The woman's encounter with with Jesus changed the whole spiritual trajectory of this entire town. Because of her encounter with Jesus, the, the town believed And they didn't need miracles or signs or wonders. All they needed to do was to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to him, to hear his words. And they put their complete trust and faith in him as the Messiah. And so this is the context in which Jesus has just left. This is important because here he is among the Samaritan people, people who were not even God's chosen. These were not the Jewish people. They were the illegitimate half-brothers. They were outsiders. They were not God's chosen. And yet, when Jesus speaks, they believe. And so John tells us that Jesus has just left this after two days and he's returned to Galilee. Galilee is his hometown. This is where he is from. And in verse 44, it says, Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Meaning that Jesus knew that he wouldn't be received. In verse 45, we read that it says, When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. It seems a little bit confusing as I read this to think Jesus has just said that a prophet has no honor in his home country. He's just arrived home. He's arrived in his hometown in his own country. And he knows that he's not going to receive any kind of honor from the people there. And yet John tells us that the people of Galilee welcomed him. And so it sort of feels a bit like of a contradiction, does it not? Did he receive honor? Did he not receive honor? Was he welcomed? Was he not welcomed? We see this again earlier in John's writing in John chapter 1, where he writes, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god you see john is revealing something that's really important here is that a lot of people will appear to welcome jesus <clears throat> a lot of people will appear to give honor and glory to jesus They might even seem excited to talk about Jesus or excited to to see Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. But the reality is is that it is only a surface-level welcome. It is only a surface-level connection or involvement. They don't actually show Jesus' honor. They're there to be entertained. They want to see what Jesus can do for them. They want the thrill of seeing Jesus perform a miracle. And they don't really care why he's come to perform those miracles. You remember that this is what John has said, the whole reason why Jesus is performing these miracles was so that he could reveal that he was indeed who he said he was. That he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But they weren't interested in that. They welcomed him because they had seen his authority in Jerusalem. They had seen the things that he had done and they were waiting to see what is he going to do next. I was thinking about this and it sort of struck me kind of like this is a whole Jerusalem's Got Talent kind of thing. Have you seen America's Got Talent? And they have these crowd favorites and and one of my favorites are the the magicians, They perform these amazing tricks. And you're left wondering, how on earth did they do that? And so you want to see in the next episode when they get brought back, what next, what are they going to do next? What's the next great and amazing thing that, feat that they're going to attempt? And so Jesus was like that. He, they wanted to know, what are you going to do next, Jesus? You're the crowd favorite right now. Perform for us. Entertain us. We saw what you have done. Show us again. John continues, he says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Jesus had just been there a few days before. This is not like it's weeks or months later. This is days. The party is probably just wrapped up and people are still remembering the amazing things that had happened at this wedding. After the wedding, Jesus and his disciples actually traveled to Capernaum. This is where they debriefed. This is where they spent a few days kind of getting over the party and the celebrations and talking And I kind of wonder if maybe this is what happens is that the royal official was in Capernaum and when Jesus and his disciples and his mother were there and they were talking about the wedding, news traveled about what Jesus had done. And it got to the royal official and he heard and he thought maybe this man who's performed a miracle could help my son. Maybe if I'm able to find this guy, Jesus, that they're talking about, he'll come with me, and because I'm a royal official, because I have authority, I can convince him to come and to set my son free, to to bring him healing and to restore him. Maybe he travels up to Cana. He wasn't able to find him in Capernaum, and so maybe if I head back to Cana, I'll find this guy, Jesus, that they're talking about. And somehow he gets word that Jesus is there, and so he comes to Jesus. If you were here at the beginning of the service, there was a little bit of a video, and and the royal official probably came with a little bit of pomp and authority, and look at me, and he finds Jesus, and he begs him, come and heal my son." One of the things I find interesting about this passage, and I want you to kind of keep an eye on it as we walk through it, is how John refers to the man. When we're first introduced to the man, he says there was a certain royal official. This will become important because John is going to change his his title and his designation later in, in his passage. What's interesting about the fact that John is referring to him as a royal official is the fact that the only royalty at the time that would have been in this area would have been King Herod. This man was a part of King Herod's court. Some scholars have even suggested that it was likely that this man would have been among those who were responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. He was a man who obeyed the the orders of the king. He followed without question. He is a man of power. And he is also likely an outsider who would have had more in common with the Samaritans than the Jewish people. But he has come anyway. I wonder those of you who are parents Maybe you can relate to this when your child is sick. If your child was close to death, what would you do for them? There's nothing you wouldn't do. There's no means that you wouldn't try to to, to get them healing and wholeness. And so he comes to Jesus. He begs him to heal his son. And he's there and he's among all of these other Galileans who were welcoming him because they had seen what Jesus had done in Jerusalem. Jesus, what are you going to do? Show us a miracle, Jesus. And the royal official says, Jesus, heal him. Would you come with me? And how does Jesus respond? In verse 48, it says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Jesus doesn't even address the official. I'm not sure what's happening here, but he rebukes the whole crowd and he says, unless you people, if we were in the South, we would, South, we would say all y'all. All y'all, unless you see miracles, you'll never believe. Now there's nothing wrong with coming to Jesus and pleading for a miracle. We know that much of Jesus' ministry was in fact doing that, doing signs and wonders so that people would believe in him. And John even tells us that there were so many signs and wonders that he couldn't even record them all if he tried. And so we know people have come to Jesus and they have re- laid their requests at his feet. And he continues to extend his grace and his mercy. But the miracles that Jesus is coming to do were meant to validate the message of who he was, that he was the Messiah, that his good and beautiful kingdom was here. But once again, the people around him weren't interested in his kingdom, they were only interested in in what Jesus would do for them. So I'm not sure if Jesus' rebuke was a way of testing the official. Are you really just interested in the miracle? Or maybe he's calling everyone to a deeper level of faith. I don't know. But the official persists. Sir, come down before my child dies. I feel like my kids have learned how to ask for things from this official. You don't have to teach a child how to ask. It's instinctive within them to come and to ask for what they want. There's often times where my kids, they will ask for something, and they will keep on asking. And sometimes we'll tell them no, right Isaiah? And you will ask again. There's nights where they'll ask us, can we play cards, dad? Like, no, it's, it's like 8.30. You guys are supposed to be in bed an hour ago. Just one game, dad. No, you need to go to bed. Just one game. No, one game, dad. No. Mom comes in, mom, can we play a game? No, you need to go to bed. Just one game. They persist again and again. Just like our kids persist, the royal official persists. Come down before my child dies. I love this. Verse 50, Jesus reveals his character. He reveals his nature to the man and to all those who were there. Jesus could have continued to rebuke the man. He could have continued to rebuke the crowd. He could have dismissed him. And yet, he responds with compassion and mercy. And he heals the son immediately. And not only does Jesus demonstrate his compassion and his mercy, he demonstrates his power. The man's asked him, Come with me. Come to the presence. Come where my son is, and then maybe he will receive healing. And Jesus says, Go. He is healed. He will live. All Jesus has to do is speak a word. What blows me away is definitely the response of the man. The man responds without doubt with no questions asked. He doesn't plead for God to show him the miracle. Jesus, prove what your word, that it's true, that what you have said is true. No, it says the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Jesus speaks and he goes on his way. And it's not until the next day that he's traveling that he meets the servants who have news that his boy is living. Not only is his boy living, it happened at the very moment that Jesus declared that the boy would live. Starting in verse 53 is where you see the shift in how John speaks of the official, and I think it's significant. But he says it was at then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. John no longer refers to him as the royal official. He is not just a man from another kingdom, a man under a different authority. He is now a father. We can certainly play that off. Well, Jesus is just referring to him as a father, but there's a significant shift It's at the very moment that the Father realizes that what Jesus had said was true. And he believes that his identity has changed. When he understands Jesus' word, he believes. He goes all in. There is a complete surrender and a complete trust, and then it says, "His whole house, whole, whole household believed." You see the pattern emerging. It's not just this man, who, this former royal official, and it doesn't say that he didn't continue in his act as royal official. But this new man, this father, goes and he tells everything that has happened to his whole household. His belief extends into his entire family. And so just like the woman at the well who, whose encounter with Jesus changes the spiritual and eternal directory of the trajectory of the whole town, just like Andrew's encounter with Jesus changes the whole spiritual trajectory of the life of Peter, this man changes the whole spiritual directory of his family. He goes all in. He believes. As we reflect on this account, there are certainly a few things that we can learn, we can take. And the first thing is that we can learn more about Jesus. Scripture is full of of who Jesus is, his character, his nature. And one of the things that John, he wants us to know, John is trying to drill this into our heads, is that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. This is the reason why these miracles are recorded. I'm going to record them so you believe and you understand the nature of, of who this Son of God is. Tim shared eloquently about how Jesus was one who who basically gave up all of his authority. He gave up his position and his title to come and to serve, and yet by doing so, he actually receives all of it again. He is given a name that is above every name. But in this encounter, we learn that Jesus is both gracious and merciful, and he is powerful. Jesus demonstrates his grace and his mercy in that even in the middle of a crowd of people who were only interested in seeing a show, Jesus healed the man's son. Even for a man who was not part of God's chosen people, he extended his grace. And Jesus demonstrates in his power with just a word that he has authority over both sickness and death. Your son will live. as thinking about this we aren't really stunned that jesus could speak and the boy would be healed are we we've kind of sort of wrapped our heads around that and we sort of become a little bit numb to that in some ways but what is striking about this is that not only did jesus heal the boy with just the word he healed him from 20 miles away 20 miles on foot or by horse not 20 miles in a car. He could have been 500 miles away or 5,000 miles away. It wouldn't matter. Distance was no, no match for the power and the authority of Jesus. But I think there's times in our lives when as much as we want to be like the man, this royal official who takes Jesus at his word, who believes, we are often more like the people that Jesus rebukes. Our sense of welcome towards Jesus really isn't centered on his grace or his mercy or his power. It's not not even centered on the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the King. Rather, it is focused on the things that we think Jesus can do for us. We don't want to know Jesus, we want to use Jesus. Amanda and I used to have a pastor who would ask the question, are you praying with your hands up or are you praying with your hands out? And it it gives us a pause. When we come to Jesus, when we come to the the creator of all things, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, Are our hands always out in a posture where we are asking to receive? Jesus, would you do this for me? Jesus, would you give this? Jesus, would you provide that? Or are they in a posture of up and of worship and surrender to him? As I said before, there's nothing wrong with asking from God. But if your entire prayer life is surrounded by Jesus, give me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, Jesus. Are you really surrendered to Him or are you surrendered to the things that He will give you? I think sometimes we're also so familiar with the Bible and Jesus that we're not shocked or surprised by the things that He does. Jesus is no longer powerful, He's predictable. We can put Him in a box. And yet Jesus has come. The Son of God has come. And there is power in his name. There is power behind him. He has authority. Do you believe it? The next thing we learn is about what it means to believe. John helps us to understand that if we are going to believe, if we are going to pastuo, to go all in, to surrender completely, it means that we have to take Jesus at his word. Sometimes we wrestle with it, sometimes we, we, we question. But if there's always a question, if there's always doubt behind what Jesus has said, do we really, have we really surrendered to him? Jesus is wanting to move us from a place where we're dependent on him performing miracles to a place where we believe simply because he has spoken the truth. He's wanting to move us to a place where when he speaks we respond in faith. And I'll ask you the question. How do you respond when Jesus speaks? Do you take Jesus at his word? Or do you have a hard time believing that what he has said is true? Do you have a hard time believing that he is good? That he is present? That he is gracious and merciful? Do you have a hard time believing that he hears your prayers? Or that he even cares for you. When you take Jesus at your, his word, you put your belief in Him. And as you put your belief in him, it changes your life and it changes your perspective. You will begin to recognize that this kingdom that he, Jesus is representative, that He is establishing is one that is so unlike every other kingdom out there. I think John points it out, and maybe I'm making too much of the the name change and how John refers to the the royal official. But the royal official moves from being identified with the kingdom and, and, and the rule of Herod to being a father, to being one who believes. And I see it as that symbolic movement of going all in. Of complete surrender and trust to Jesus. And when he believes his life, the lives of his whole family are changed. Author Dan Grider, he says this, he's a pastor as well, he says, speaking of Jesus, that his kingdom cannot be merged with or added onto any other personal pursuit or kingdom efforts. He demands his followers surrender their lives and desires to follow him. His kingdom can't be merged with or added onto any other personal pursuit or kingdom efforts. What challenged me about the, that this week was the, was the thought. Am I trying to simply add Jesus and the things that he can do for me to the kingdom that I am trying to establish? Onto my own life? Is he really only there to provide, like, you know, the buffers and the, and the, the safe spaces for me so that I'm glorified? Because Jesus hasn't come to simply add on to your life. He has come so that we might surrender completely to him, so that we might believe. This morning there is an invitation to you. Has Jesus simply been someone that you have added on to? Is he simply a miracle worker, someone that you receive from? Or see someone that you can surrender completely to. That you can take at his word. Someone that you can believe. Let's pray. Father, I'm amazed at your grace and your, your mercy towards us. There are times when you rebuke us and, and you, you basically shake us awake and you, you help us to refocus and, and to kind of come to grips with the reality of who you are. And this morning, Lord, as I read through John, I see your grace, I see your mercy. I see your power and your authority. And Lord, you are calling us to surrender ourselves to you to believe you, to trust you at your word. So Lord, may we do that. May we surrender to you this morning. We're not looking for a handout, but we're looking to raise our hands and surrender and worship to you. So Jesus, may your kingdom be established and may you receive honor and glory. Amen.